Welcome to Russian History Retold, Episode 164, Alexander Pushkin, The Father of Modern Russian Literature, Part 1. Last time we covered the final years of one of the greatest authors of all time, Leo Tolstoy. Today we're going to talk about the person most considered the greatest Russian poet and the founder of modern Russian literature, Alexander Pushkin. Before we start, I'd like to share the two books that I'm going to be using primarily for this podcast series. One is from what should be a very familiar source, Henri Troyat. Born Lev Tarasov in Moscow in 1911, Troyat is one of the best-known biographers of famous Russians. His works include ones on Anton Chekhov, Catherine the Great, Rasputin, Fyodor Dostoevsky, Ivan the Terrible, and of course, Leo Tolstoy. This work on Pushkin was originally published in 1950. The second is by T.J. Binion, whose book on Pushkin was published in 2002. Now, both are very different in tone and interpretation of the life of the great poet. The second one, though, by Binion is probably going to be a little bit of an easier read uh, for the modern reader because it is in a different style. It's in a more kind of uh, flowing style that I, I think is easier to understand today, and it's using terms that we'd be more familiar with. Uh, they're both excellent, and that's why I'm using them, And because I hope these differences between the two books are going to make for a better and richer podcast. I'd like to look at both sides of the picture, so to say. Uh, one other thing that I'm going to be doing is uh, my blog site, RussianRulersHistory.com. I haven't done much on it for quite a while, but I'm going to get back into it. But what I'm also going to do is have a section where you can see the books that I'm using with links to Amazon. So if you're interested in buying the books, I'd really appreciate it if you went through the blog site uh, and got the book, because that way it could help pay for the expenses of the podcast and just keep it going for a little bit longer. Uh, so it'll have a whole area of just all the different types of books I have. It's probably well over 200 right now that I've used in order to produce this podcast series. So on to Pushkin. Born into a noble family on June 6, 1799, Alexander Sergeyevich Pushkin's maternal great-grandfather was Abram Petrovich Ganebal, a black man from Cameroon who was presented to Peter the Great as a gift, but whose talents had him rise to the position of general under Elizabeth I. You know, after reading a bit about him, I've decided that I'm going to devote a podcast or two in the future to him, as he seems to be just a fascinating, if not pretty unscrupulous man. Now, Alexander's father, Sergei Livovich Pushkin, was an officer in Emperor Paul's guard, but retired after two years, as the Tsar was known to be a very unstable man and not safe to be around, and he would severely punish those around him for minor offenses, such as not removing one's hat when he walked by. Because of this, Sergei and his wife, Nadezhda Osipovna Ganebal moved from St. Petersburg to Moscow, which is something a lot of nobles did under Paul. They were very nervous around him, so a lot of them left St. Petersburg and moved to Moscow. Now, the marriage of Sergei and Nadezhda Pushkin was an uncomfortable one, to say the least, but not uncommon in Russian high society. They were both quite wealthy, owning estates in the countryside, but neither much cared for actually running the estates. They had caretakers look over and manage their holdings. These people, of course, would enrich themselves greatly at the expense of the Pushkins and, of course, at the expense of the serfs. 
Even when the expenses would be greater than the income, neither Sergei nor his wife would do anything about it. Alexander was one of four children, a sister Olga, and two brothers, Nicholas, who was to die at the age of five, and Lev. Sasha, as he was often called, was a morose and difficult child. Much of this has been said to be due to his quarrelsome parents, who would beat or yell at him constantly, unless, of course, they were in the company of visitors, where they transformed themselves into a loving and doting parent. They would pat their children on the head and act like the happiest couple in the world. But when the guests would leave, they would quickly revert into angry and disinterested parents. The one person who Alexander and his siblings could always count on was their nanny, Irina Rodonovna. As Troyat puts it in his biography of Pushkin, quote, This Irina Rodonovna, this nurse, this faithful and affectionate Nianaya, used to live in an all Russian families. How could one do without her? Among the well-to-do families, the father was taken up with business, with hunting, with cards. And he imagined that he had little to be reproached for, since he had entrusted his offspring to foreign tutors, whom he paid well. The mother read novels and lived the novels she read, frantically. The child was left to himself. He would, therefore, turn to his nanny, who was a freed serf and hoped for nothing better from her position in life. She knew that her destiny was in the house of her master, that she would have no other joys or sorrows than those to be found in that house, nor other children than those who peopled the house. Her master's children were her children, and in the spirit of total abnegation, she took the place of the mother, who had not the time to look after them, and of the father, who was cultivated and indifferent. At the age of seven, we have a description of young Alexander from an old Muscovite woman. He was described, quote, as an unruly, awkward lad with curly hair and swarthy face. His lack of grace was, however, somewhat offset by his extremely alert eyes, which seemed to shoot sparks. His grandmother, Maria Alexievna, said of him, quote, I don't know what is to become of my grandson. He is intelligent. He likes books. But he won't work, and it is rarely that he will recite his lessons properly. At certain times, you can't get him to stir or to go and play with other children, while at others, he gets excited, starts romping about, and there's no restraining him. He leaps from one extreme to the other. He doesn't know the slightest moderation. Heaven knows how we will end if we won't learn to behave. Another account talks of his impetuous side, where he would pout and stay to himself if offended. This side was to show itself more and more as he grew older, leading him to be involved in 29 duels into his adulthood, with the last one, of course, proving to be fatal. His temper, it seems, was a genetic one, coming down from his maternal great-grandfather and his father's side of the family. Pushkin's grandfather was known as a very cruel and violent man, having once hanged his first wife's alleged lover, who at the time was Alexander's father's French tutor. As the young Pushkin grew, he was surrounded by a large number of teachers, some who were competent and some who were not. One thing that did come out of his education at this early age was an intense interest in reading. The more he read, the more he wanted to read. Voltaire, Molière, Racine, Diodot, 
Parni, Beaumarchais, Plutarch, and others were devoured by Alexander. One thing you should notice is there's a real lack of any Russian-sounding authors. The reason is there really weren't any world-class Russian authors at that time. You have to understand the time that young Pushkin lived in and the part of society that he was in. This was a time in the early 1800s before the Napoleonic Wars where in high society French was spoken more than Russian as many believed that their language was beneath them and that French was the language of true culture. This of course was to change after the events of 1812 but we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Alexander had decided at quite a young age that he was to become a writer and a poet in the style of the French writers he so greatly admired. He wrote two plays when he was young, La Toliade, which he later burned, and La Escamoteur. The latter was a comedy in the style of Moyer, which his sister Olga critiqued. She thought little of it, and she didn't think that her brother really had any talent when he acted it out. His uncle Vasily began to have a lot of influence on the young boy. Vasily traveled throughout Europe around 1801 and became very French in his ways, which impressed Alexander. His uncle's bawdy tales excited him, but he didn't know how to handle that. He was a mere ten years old, but had emotions of a much older person. So because of his age, he was taken away from his nanny and given over to a house valet, Nikita Kozlov. From the music Nikita, Pushkin was to discover Russian culture through their walks around Moscow. The Slavic culture was beginning to intrigue him and blend in with the Western culture his uncle and father exposed him to. Years went by as they traveled through the old city, but during that time a dark cloud began to build, which was to shatter Muscovite life. Napoleon Bonaparte was beginning to march through Europe. Tsar Alexander I wanted to work with Napoleon, but that was not going to happen. War was on the horizon, but it was to initially prove to be a very unpopular one, especially with those in high society. How could the Tsar justify a war with France, a country which was highly admired, where most of the nobles spoke the language better than their native Russian? But the war continued to take on an onerous tone after the defeats at Austerlitz, Ilau, and Friedland and after which the humiliating peace treaty of Tilsit was signed. The Pushkin's family fortunes took a turn for the worst after the treaty, as did most of Russia. The treaty had caused an embargo against trade with Great Britain, which really hurt the economy. Tsar Alexander I was being seen as a weakling, and many were beginning to wonder about his ability to lead and rule. At the time, many in Russian high society would send their children to Jesuit-run schools, and the Pushkins were leaning towards sending their son to one. But at the last minute, it seems, the Tsar created a new school, the Lycée at Tsarskoye Selo. The palace was open to select students, with the Tsar's own library being made available to the children. At the age of 12, Alexander was sent to the school. It wasn't easy to gain admittance, but the Pushkins had friends in very high places. One of them, Malinovsky, was named as director of the school, so it seemed assured that the boy would be admitted. As for Alexander, he was happy to be leaving his parents behind, because, as Troyot puts it, quote, he had judged his parents and was well acquainted with their extreme levity and the terrible emptiness of their hearts. 
Then, too, the idea of going away to Tsarskoye, Selo, far away from home, of living in a wing of the Imperial Palace, and of wearing a uniform, kind of appealed to him. While his father wanted to take his son to St. Petersburg, he was unable to go. So instead, Uncle Vasily and his mistress, Anna, took the boy instead. Even though the Pushkins had influential friends, Alexander still had to pass the entrance exam. Luckily, he was up to the task and was one of 30 out of 38 to pass. One of the others who had succeeded was a young boy with a strangely similar name, Ivan Pushkin. The two boys would have adjoining rooms at the Lycée, with Alexander being in the last room in the hallway, number 14, and Ivan being in room 13. To be honest, Pushkin was not a very good student. As we see in a note from Malinovsky, Alexander was considered, quote, empty-headed and thoughtless, excellent at French and drawing, lazy and backward at arithmetic. This was to follow Pushkin for many years at the school. The rules of the day were quite strict, as you might expect. One new one, though, which was to cause great grief to the students, was told to them after a few weeks at the school. They were not allowed to leave Tsarskoye Selo for the next six years. Their families could also only see them on Sundays and holidays, and only on the grounds of the Lycée. And here's the schedule for the children. So, any of you kids out there complaining about school, listen to this. Up at six, when a bell rung to start the day. Then came prayers, followed by classes from seven to nine. Then breakfast was served typically tea with white rolls, and then a walk around the grounds. From 10 to noon, there were more lessons followed by a walk. Dinner was then served, which consisted of three, sometimes four courses, followed initially by a glass of port. Well, obviously, this uh, alcoholic drink was stopped soon thereafter, and I wonder why, in favor of either kvass or water. From 2 to 3 in the afternoon, there would be classes of drawing, or calligraphy. Additional lessons from three to five, followed by yet another walk. Then they would prepare for the next day or take tutorial classes, followed by supper at 8.30. After that, the boys could play until prayers were called, with bedtime being strictly at 10 o'clock. Since the children were all of noble or high standing, they had no need to clean their clothes or their rooms. These were handled by servants. The one to initially attend to young Pushkin was one Konstantin Sazanov. On March 18th of 1816, Sazanov, though, was arrested by the police for six murders committed around Tsarskoye Selo. He confessed quickly, much to the shock of Alexander. A few weeks later, while in the infirmary, he wrote a little poem, quote, On the morrow, with a penny candle, I will appear before the holy icon. My friend, I am still alive! Though was once beneath death's sickle, Sazanov was my servant and Peschel, my physician. Malinovsky, the initial director of the Lycée, had died in March of 1814, and it took two years to find a permanent replacement. In March 1816, Igor Antonovich Engelhart was named director. He quickly won the hearts of all the boys except Pushkin when he rescinded the rule bearing them from leaving Tsarskoye Selo. Alexander, for some reason, never warmed up to Engelhart, nor would the director ever like his charge. 
At this point, some of you might be wondering, hey, wait, wait a minute, what about the Napoleonic invasion of Russia in 1812? Well, now's the time to cover it. When the French army crossed the Neiman River on June 24, 1812, the news sent shockwaves through the school, as news came that his armies were beating the Russians over and over with the fall of Vilna, Vitebsk, and then Smolensk. Many became quite nervous, and preparations were started to pack up valuables in St. Petersburg to be sent to Finland should the Grand Armée decide to head north. Many of the boys, who were only 14, wanted to volunteer for the army, but that was quickly rejected. After the Battle of Borodino, where Napoleon claims victory, as did, of course, Russian General Kutuzov, St. Petersburg was on edge. The French headed towards Moscow while the Russians continued their retreat. When the city was ordered to be burned, Pushkin's uncle Vasily hastily made his way out of the city to Nizhny Novgorod, but left behind all his belongings, including his money. His house was burned to the ground. The Lycée and all the employees were prepared to evacuate, along with most of the rest of the population of St. Petersburg, but news came that Napoleon was retreating back on the same path he came in. The school was safe, and the French were beaten back. For the next two years, the Russians, along with their allies, pushed the French back to Paris, where Alexander would ride in and become the hero of Russia. By the time Napoleon was defeated finally at Waterloo in 1815, Pushkin was already recognized as a superb poet. The director of education at the school, Martinov, had requested that Alexander compose a poem to mark the occasion. The ending's quite beautiful, and it goes like this, quote, A golden age of tranquility will come, rust will cover the helms, and the tempered arrows, hidden in quivers, will forget their flight. The happy villager, untroubled by stormy disaster, will drag across the field a plow, sharpened by peace. Flying vessels, winged by trade, will cut the free ocean with their keels. It was followed with simple free words of truth, will bring to life in his tales the glory of past years, and will, in tears, bless the good Tsar. After more than four-fifths of Moscow was destroyed, the Pushkin family decided to move to St. Petersburg, where they would see their son for the first time in years when they made it in 1814. They visited regularly until he graduated. In January of 1815, exams were held in front of officials, friends, and family members, along with the famous Russian poet, the then 71-year-old Derjavan. By now, Pushkin had already published a number of his poems to great acclaim, and here he was to recite his Recollections in Sarskoy Selo to the great Derjavan. It was met with great accolades, especially by the elder poet. He told an acquaintance, quote, Soon a second Dershavan will appear in the world. He is Pushkin, who in the Lycée has already outshone all writers. The writing elite were now all wanting to meet the young prodigy. But there was one last thing that needed attention, and that was the final exams before leaving the Lycée. As a student, Alexander was routinely at the bottom of his class, somewhere between numbers 20 and 28. Still, he did pass the tests, which went on for an arduous two whole weeks. 
Upon leaving Tsarskoye Selo, Pushkin headed towards St. Petersburg to start his new career as a collegial secretary for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the 10th rank, with an annual salary of 700 rubles. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Come back next time as we cover the early adulthood of Alexander Pushkin. Now I have one more announcement to make. In the very near future, I'm going to be making a special announcement about a Russian ruler's history book series. Stay tuned for that. So now, as always, Dasvidanya Ispasiba Bolshoya.